Well, uh, good. Good to be together. Good to see you all. Good to be able to just freely open up the Word and say what it says. Uh, I'm hopeful that we'll understand what God intends us to understand, see what God intends for us to see today. I'm thankful that God has given us His Word. I'm thankful that God's given us His people. I'm thankful that God calls different people to different roles. Uh, as Ron just pointed out, people that were uh, called up to serve in these building committee and building finance committees uh, get to serve in the church alongside faithful elders, deacons, deaconesses, and uh, so grateful. Uh, grateful that the Word even has lists of qualifications for some of those things, that we don't just kind of randomly uh, pick members out of the church, but the Word of God declares this is what the qualifications for these various roles are. We're accustomed to, in our world, being selected for certain honors or roles, usually based on qualifications that we have. In the church, there's qualifications for offices, but in the world outside, the world outside is very performance-driven, and so it's usually the people that can prove that they have kind of the highest level of qualifications that are the ones that then get the jobs. Is that the way it works, though, in the kingdom of God? As we Go through the Gospel according to Luke. We saw last week Jesus' earthly ministry really starting in the area of Galilee. And His ministry is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And He's doing it with authority. And He's getting attention. And we also saw a little taste of what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes as we've seen Jesus display His authority over demons and diseases. And we got to see that all just last week. Up to this point... We've really just seen Jesus doing His earthly ministry on His own. But today, we get to listen in on a conversation between Simon and Jesus. And we're going to learn something, I think, about who it is that Jesus calls to be on mission with Him. So it's applicable certainly to us as well. So if you're able to, and you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 5, verses 1-11 through 11, and stand. I'll pray, and then we'll read the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Uh, we are thankful uh, that You don't leave us in the dark in any way, but that You have, have shown Your lights in our hearts, uh, that we might see the glory of God in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we look at this little portion of the Gospel according to Luke today, that You would remind us of who you are, of who we are, and who you're calling us to be and what you're calling us to do. That's, that's a big task. I can't accomplish that with my preaching, but you by your Spirit can accomplish it through preaching today, and so I pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at Luke chapter 5. I'll read verses 1 through 11. God's Word says this, On one occasion... While the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And, as he, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon... Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night 
and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You can be seated. Well, there in your bulletin uh, sermon outline, if that's helpful for you as you follow along, we're going to be seeing, first of all, Jesus teaching on the beach. I'm not going to read verses 1 through 3 again. I just read them. But know that we're in Capernaum. Remember, we were introduced to Capernaum last week. This will become Jesus' kind of hub or hometown center uh, for his earthly ministry. It's just a small fishing village on the north of the Sea of Galilee, which is also sometimes called the Lake of Gennesaret. So same, same body of water, a couple of different names. That's what's referred to here. Now that's where Jesus is as we open up chapter 5, and like we're already becoming accustomed to, when Jesus is teaching, remember last week, when Jesus was teaching, they were astonished that he taught with authority. They'd heard lots of teaching from lots of people, but Jesus is teaching with authority, and so when Jesus teaches, a crowd gathers. That's what's happened again, but this time the setting is right there on the beach, right on the shore of the lake, and the crowd is pressing in on Jesus. So you can kind of picture this, uh, that Jesus standing there on the shore and a crowd pressing in, and he didn't have microphones and a sound system like we have, and so if his voice is going to get out, the more bodies are pressed around him, the more those bodies absorb the sound and the people that are in the back can't hear. And so just very practically, Jesus knows, I need to do something in order that people can hear me. And so he sees these fishermen who just got done with a night of work. So it's almost like the crowd uh, was there intentionally to hear Jesus teach, but these fishermen were there because Jesus and the crowd just showed up at their workplace. They're just getting done with work. They have a couple of boats, these partners who fish together. If you're picturing one of these fishing boats, uh, Probably from what they can see, usually the fishing boats in that time were between 20 to 30 feet long, could easily hold a crew of five plus a whole lot of fish. Okay? So, so a couple of boats uh, that they have there, and, and Simon, who we'll later come to know as Peter, is in one of them. The others are out, they're washing their nets already, they're done with work for the night, and Jesus sees the opportunity to get away from the crowd so that he can continue to address the crowd. So, first ask of Peter is in verse 3, where Jesus says, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down. Remember, we saw even in the synagogue, the way that the Jewish people would teach is they would sit. So, usually when we preach in the Christian church, for whatever reason, 
were standing, uh, I would feel really confined. My friend uh, over in Fort Dodge was just with a group of other pastors this week. He, he did something uh, to his foot and ankle, and so he's been preaching from sitting. I can't imagine doing that. I need to, to move around, move my hands, move my body, but this is the way Jewish people would teach. And so Jesus, sitting down in the boat, can now address the crowd in a way, you know, water kind of carries sound, and now the crowd's not right in front of him, so people can hear Jesus as he teaches. And that's because Simon is willing to put his boat out a little bit from the shore. So that's the setting, Uh, and it does seem at this point, because Jesus is teaching the crowd, that you might expect that that the fishermen who are just getting done with work are like extras in the scene. Like if this is a movie, the main character is Jesus and the crowd is the focus. But suddenly we're going to shift in verse 4 where the guy who just happened to be getting home from work in that place named Simon is going to become one of the main characters in the story. So uh, that's where we're at. Teaching on the beach, that's the setting. And now we're going to see a catch and response. Some of you are fishermen and you practice, you like the joy of catching fish, but you don't need to eat a lot of fish. And so you practice catch and release. We're going to see here catch and response in verses 4 through the beginning of verse 10. So uh, let's go ahead and look. First at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, so this is the second ask now, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, this is interesting. The professional fisherman just got done fishing for an evening, caught nothing, and it's the carpenter's son who's telling him how to do his job, right? That's what we see in verse 4. How is Peter or Simon going to respond? Verse 5 says this, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So he begins by giving him a report on how things went the night before. We toiled all night, took nothing. But, so, so, so I sense a little doubt, a little skepticism on Peter's part. The reason he, because he could have just said, Oh, you say so, I'm going to do it. But he does interject that comment, like we've been doing this all night and caught nothing, right? But then he does say this, he is obedient. It says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Just picture the situation. They had already worked all night. How many of you have had a job where you've worked the night shift before? Had a job, that's a lot of people in here. Yikes. Okay, so you've had a job where you've worked the night shift. I had that a couple of different times. I worked for a temp agency uh, for a while, so they would put me in all these different factories where they just needed somebody to cover for us. I was in a bread factory overnight once, which was kind of cool. I worked overnight shift at a hotel at the front desk uh, for a couple of years as well. So, So what I felt, and a number of you could attest to, maybe you did this way longer than I did. Mine was temporary. When you're done working a night shift... You're tired. Like there's a time where it's like just before sunrise where your body's like, I don't know if I can stay awake any longer, right? And so when you're done working that night shift, what do you want to do? Go home and get to bed, right? It is, it is time uh, to take a rest after working that. That's probably how Simon and his co-workers are feeling. Just getting done with the night shift, and, and think about this, they have to wash the nets in order to keep them uh, 
for, for the days ahead, like this is a valuable tool for a fisherman, they're already washing the nets. If they go back out into the deep and drop the nets down again, what are they going to have to do when they come back in? Wash them again, right? So, so all of a sudden, by, by Simon saying, all right, we'll go do this, they're sacrificing a couple hours of sleep, right? When, when they could probably really use it. And Jesus tells them to go out into the deep, which is daytime deep sea fishing uh, with these nets was not the normal standard practice. There was a reason that they had been out overnight fishing rather than during the daytime. But Peter does say, yet at your word, he says, I will let down the nets. The result? Well, we read it in verses 6 and 7. Pretty awesome. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Like some of you who fish, you've told fishing stories before, but probably none like this. You may have exaggerated, but, but you've never probably had a catch like this, where you have so many fish, you're filling up one boat, and you have to call another boat to come, and both of them are about to sink, right? So this is a large number of fish. What's their response to this? You might expect like awe, wonder, or at least thank you, right? Uh, Their livelihood depends on this. How did Simon and others get an income through catching and selling fish? They had worked a whole night and like they don't get a paycheck. I was just in a second grade classroom uh, this week and I'm helping teach like for junior achievement. And we had to teach them about jobs. Like there's different ways that you get paid for a job and some jobs you only get paid if you produce something. Right? That's the kind of job that Simon and his co-workers had. Like, they're not getting the paycheck based on how many hours they were out at sea. They get nothing because they didn't catch anything. Right? But now, now they're out, and you would expect now that they've caught two boatloads full of fish, that the response would be thankfulness. But note Peter's response. I keep calling him Peter. You know, it's the same guy, okay? Simon, later Jesus is going to call him Peter, right? But listen to his response in verse 8. Verse 8, it says this, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What a response. As Simon sees just a glimpse of who Jesus really is. He is the Holy One of God. Now Simon has seen again His power, His authority. And and the right response, I think, of Simon in that moment, as he sees Jesus, a bit of who Jesus really is, Simon's right response is, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And he calls Him Lord. Peter, Peter Rightly seeing, in light of who Jesus is, I know who I am. I'm a sinner. And I have no right to be in your presence. So he actually tells Jesus, depart from me. He doesn't say, hey, let's go out again and get two more boatloads full of fish. I'm going to make bank today. That's not what he says. No, he recognizes (laughs) you, you are the Lord. And I am sinful and I have no right to be in your presence. I love 
chapter 5, verse 8 here. Love Simon's response. It, it reminds me of Isaiah. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah gets to see a vision of the Lord's glory in the temple? Remember his response? He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right? So we've seen this before in Scripture. You get a picture of who God is, and you see yourself for who you really are. That's what's happening to Simon here. It's going to be a while before the disciples get a really clear view of who Jesus really is. But at this point, Simon at least clearly sees who he really is. A sinner who has no right to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, how is Jesus going to respond to this? How will Jesus respond? Will he say, well, you're right about that, Peter, and then take off? Right? You're right that you have no right. I am the Lord. I am I am the Holy One of God. I'm holy. I'm perfect. You're sinful. And you have no right to be in my presence. You get back to fishing. I'm going to go do my thing. Is that what Jesus does? No. Look at what Jesus does. Now we have a call and response in verses 10b through 11, through the end of the passage here. It says this, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching Men. Jesus is not repulsed by sinners. Jesus rescues and recruits sinners to join him on his mission. Jesus is not repulsed by sinners. Jesus rescues and recruits sinners to be with him on his mission. He is calling common, convicted sinners to follow him. Notice here, Jesus doesn't even invite him. He just tells him what he's going to be doing. From now on, you will be catching men. I mean, quite a picture. Simon, who had spent his life learning to be a master at catching these animals, who upon catching them would die so that people could eat them, is now going to spend his life catching people who are dead in their sin that they might live forever. Right? This is what Jesus is calling Peter to at this moment. Verse 11, their response, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They leave behind the business that they had built, their security, the life they knew. How many of you, like, if you're like me, you get kind of like comfortable in the life. I like predictability. I like knowing what's coming. They get rid of, they have none of that anymore. They're leaving everything to follow Jesus. They don't even know where they're going to be sleeping from day to day from now on. Where's their income going to come from? You know, like, is somebody still, like, is there still going to be donations made to their 401k by their employer? They, they don't know any of that at this point. Yet they go and they follow him. I'm going to talk more about that here in just a moment, but I want to work on some application. Here's the application question. Am I qualified? Am I qualified to follow Jesus on His mission? In this passage, we see that Jesus who knows everything, Jesus who is holy, Jesus who can do anything, He actually recruits sinners for His mission. 
He just calls common, convicted sinners to follow him on mission. And this is good news for us today. We're used to qualifications for a job being really long. I just think of when we, you know, a couple years ago now, hired Pastor Nick. We had, that was the first thing on our job description, like a one paragraph job description followed by a list of qualifications, bullet points. We expect you to, you know, the, the, the applicant for this position will be all of these things. In this passage, we see just a relatively short list. It's not exhaustive, but we see a few things here that I think certainly apply to us today. So what are they? Qualification number one. Here's what we see. Common. Common. Right? Jesus often recruits unlikely common people for his mission. Remember how I said at the beginning, it seems like Simon is just going to be an extra. Like he wasn't even part of the crowd there to hear Jesus teaching. You'd think if Jesus was going to call somebody to be his disciple, he'd pick a really bright, intelligent, religious person from the crowd who would come out to hear him teach. Instead, who does he talk to? The guy who's just getting off working the night shift out on the boat. Some of you met Jesus when you weren't even seeking him out. Maybe he just showed up at your workplace. He showed up at your campus. He showed up in your home. He showed up in your little town. showed up at your church. There was a crowd listening to Jesus' teaching, but Jesus was recruiting a common blue-collar crowd to be his own. Who is Jesus recruiting for his mission? I think often that's still what he does. Not the people that everybody might expect. In this case, not the religious or social elites who would be uh, you know, kind of primed from a young age to, to, to one day follow in the footsteps of a rabbi. That's not who Jesus is choosing. An uneducated fisherman instead. I, I shared this at the men's breakfast we had a couple of weeks ago. And, and I just love this verse. About four years after this time, uh, Peter and John, who were both here at this moment, were being questioned by the religious elites of their day. And I love Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Here's what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I said to the men at the men's breakfast, wouldn't this be awesome for people to say at our funeral someday? Like that guy was not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. right? Nothing super special about that guy, about that lady. Yet, there was something about him. He, he lived with a boldness, with a courage. The only way I can explain it is he must have been with Jesus. That's the conclusion of the religious elites questioning Peter and John here in Acts chapter 4. <laughs> I, I don't totally get it. These, uh, something about the way they're talking makes them think they're, they're not educated, right? They're uneducated, common people, but God is calling people like, that guy's been with Jesus. I would love for them to say that about you, about me, about our church. Our church, I mentioned this earlier. Let me say it again. Our church, you've been doing an awesome job of doing part of what Jesus has called us to. God has called us into a family and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to suffer with those who suffer, rejoice with those who rejoice. 
People in our church family are struggling in a number of ways. And, and, and I told the elders this beforehand. I've told, I actually told other people in the town this. I went to the, the PTO carnival. That was nuts uh, on, on Friday night or whatever that was. Uh, people everywhere, and it was sweaty. And, uh, but I got to talk to even people from outside of our church. They just asked, you know, kind of a normal question. How's your week? And I got to tell people, Man, I was so encouraged. I got to go visit a lot of people that are sick and struggling in my church. And every single person that I went to visit told me about other people in the church who had been caring for them in a number of different ways. You've been sending text messages. You've been calling people. You've been visiting people. You've been dropping off meals. And what I was really astonished by is that it wasn't like it's the people who like their life is all like put together and they can now help other people. It was all these other people like it's people that are struggling themselves and they're the ones that are caring for the other people that are struggling. And it was such an encouragement for me uh, to see that the church doing what the church is supposed to do. So I'm really grateful uh, for the way that you are loving, caring for, praying for, and encouraging one another. We need to keep doing that as part of the mission of Jesus. Like I mentioned earlier, we live in a world where people are disconnected. So many people are just lonely. Uh, and, and if they could see in the church a group of people that operates like a family, like people that genuinely care for each other, people that, that, that ask other people for help and people help them, sometimes people that don't even ask for help and people help them, but if they could see that, they might ask us to give a reason for the hope that we have, which gives us an opportunity to share the gospel uh, with others. So great job, church, loving one another, just, you know, like, the thing is, all those people uh, that are helping other people in our church, none of them went to seminary, right? None of them. None of them went to like a school where they spent three years studying the Bible and theology in order to do pastoral ministry, right? None of them doing that. Uh, so thank you for being the church, being the kind of common everyday people that God calls to be on his mission. Uh, we, we put a, uh, there's this article that was really helpful from a guy named Greg Morse. We put it up on our church's Facebook page like a week or two ago. Uh, he just talked about even specifically on Sunday morning. Uh, like, like you might watch the people on the, the stage on the worship team or, or you hear me preach or somebody else preach. You're like, oh, look at, look at, they're, they're, they're really serving the church well. He was just trying to make a point. Listen, if you're a, if you're a believer, then you come on Sunday morning prepared to serve the church. And he, the way he said it, even if you're not bringing the main dish, he just said, here's three things you could do. Arrive early, stay late, pray for a burden for someone, and risk having real conversations. Like, you could talk about the fog. It was foggy. That's fine. Talk about the fog, but then ask somebody a real question as well. Hey, what was hard for you this week? Is there a way I could pray for you in the week ahead? Uh, did you, when, when Pastor Jeremy said that in the sermon, that, like, I'm still, I'm still chewing on that. Uh, ask somebody a question. Risk having real conversations. I love the way the guy ended his article. He said this, if you are Christ's, you have an indispensable role every gathering. Refuse to squeeze church in. Refuse to be anonymous. Refuse to bring nothing to the spiritual potluck simply because you're not bringing the main dish. Bring your baked beans, your Sicilian Brussels sprouts. Well, actually, don't. Uh, your, your, your honey lemon asparagus. You never know how God might use what you bring to satisfy or sustain or even save a soul this Sunday. I love that Jesus calls common, everyday people to be on his mission. Qualification number two. I'll go through these two a lot faster. Qualification number two. Willing. 
Following Jesus requires trust and obedience. Three times we saw Jesus ask Peter to do something, and even when it didn't make sense, Peter willingly did it. Hey, can you put your boat out? Like, no, I just got done with work. No, he does it. Can you put your net out there, out in the deep? We just worked all night, and it didn't. Okay, I'll do it, right? Verse 11. By verse 11, he's leaving everything to follow Jesus. Following Jesus requires trust and obedience. And if Peter and the others were willing to do that, you know what they had to be convinced of? You know what we have to be convinced of? That Jesus is worth it. We have to be convinced that Jesus is our glory and our prize. If we don't think that Jesus is worth it, it's going to be really hard to let go of anything else. We've worked hard to earn all sorts of different things. We, we have, like, time is at a premium. We're busy. Our schedules are full. But if we don't believe that Jesus is worthy of our time, we're not going to give it. Jesus is worthy of our work. Even when it takes some effort, and I'm not sure uh, that I have much left in me, I'm going to pour it out because I think Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worthy of my everything. We give generously and sacrificially to the work of the church because we're convinced that the only way people are going to have peace and joy and eternal life is by hearing the gospel. And God's plan is for the gospel to be on display in the way the church lives and to be heard as the church proclaims it in this world. We give everything because we've received everything. Later in Luke, we read an interaction between Peter and Jesus, and here's what it says. Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Church, when we see an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to give, may we be so convinced that Jesus is worthy of our worship, trust, and obedience that we willingly respond to whatever he calls us to do. And then the final qualification, and I think this is probably the most important. Who does Jesus call to himself on his mission? He calls people who know that they're sinners, people who have been convicted of their sin. Verse 8, let me just read it again. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When our world is recruiting people for things, and some of you know this because you you tried to get something, you tried to be on a team, you tried to get a job, you tried to get a promotion and you didn't get it. Because when our world looks for things, they look for people who have it all together, or at least look like they do. Our world looks for people who come from good stock, people who have the right last name, people who look good, people who have the right degree, a nice resume, people who can perform well at job interviews, people who are confident in their abilities. And Jesus is looking for people who see his holiness and know that they're sinful. Isaiah 66 says it this way, God says, all these things my hand has made And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. John Newton, you might know him. uh, Actually, he's the next door neighbor uh, to our church. Uh, His name is John Newton as well. 
Uh, but the John Newton I'm talking about is the one who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. You might recall a quote from near the end of his life, and some of you can, can attest to this, like my memory doesn't work quite the way it used to. Here's what he said he remembered. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If we don't remember much else, may we remember that. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Peter saw that face to face that day. And so let me just ask you, is this you? Are you aware that you are a sinner? Are you aware that Peter's instinct there was, my sin separates me from God? He he had a right instinct there. And if you're feeling like the weight of your sin and really like, I can't be in a right relationship with God, do you know what I've done? You're right, that your sin separates you from God. But have you heard the good news of what it is that Christ has done so that sinners could be reconciled to God? Have you heard that good news? That yes, God created us to be in relationship with Him, but our sin does separate us from Him. The wages of sin is death. And you will be separated from God for all of eternity if you do not recognize that God has done. Like, you can't do something. It's not about like, oh, I'm going to try to like earn my way back and be better than I've been so far for the rest of my life. It's not going to get you there. The only thing that gets you reconciled with God is that paying the price for your sin, Jesus died. And He rose again. And the only way to have life forever in relationship with Him is to trust in Him alone. And this gives you the opportunity to live with Him forever for eternity. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you at that moment. Call it conversion. Uh, You don't just kind of like, you know, you're not like born into the Christian faith. You might be born into a family of Christians, but at some point God needs to rescue you from your sin. So if you have not yet uh, recognized that you're a sinner whose only hope is Jesus, I implore you to trust in Christ today. Uh, Let's talk after the worship service. Just say, hey, we need to talk, uh, and then we'll talk. If you are a sinner who trusts in Christ alone, though, you are invited to take communion with us today. That's what we're going to turn to next. Um, and I want us to have hearts prepared for that. So let's prepare our hearts by praying. Father, would you convict sinners today and give them new life in Jesus? And for those of us who by your grace have already received this undeserved gift, would you prepare us now to remember our sin? We don't want to forget it. We don't want to sweep it under the rug. We don't want to make excuses for ourselves. We want to be like Peter who sees your holiness and then sees clearly our sin. We want to remember that and we want to also remember the price that was paid by Jesus so that we could be with you forever. Thank you that we don't have to ask you to depart from us. But thank you that we can come to you even more. Thank you for coming to us. In Jesus' name.